Amen. Thanks, Liz. And we've got the um, PowerPoint coming up, I think. Yes, we have. Just before we start, um, I want us to pray. Just bow our heads. And as we have our heads bowed, I want each of us to ask God this morning to reveal himself to you. It might be a simple prayer like, Lord, please speak to me. And so just let each one, each one of us now just quietly just pray that simple prayer. Lord, please speak to me this morning. Father, quicken your word this morning and cause us not only to be hearers but doers, to be obedient to all you're saying. Lord, give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing the, the series this morning about um, discipleship, discipleship series. And uh, the next one that we want to look at today is a love for the lost. And that's something that um, we all need as disciples. It's one of the fundamental uh, things we need is that love for the lost. And so as we start, let's just consider um, how God views the world. He made it. How does he view it? We know from the Bible that he loves the lost. And I think there's, there's really no question about that. And perhaps the best known verse in the Bible, one that um, might have been the first verse that you, you learnt. And um, I'm sure a lot of us can say it off by heart. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so this verse does tell us God loves the world, isn't that right? He gave his son. And uh, Easter's coming. Good Friday's coming up and we're going to hear a lot more about that great sacrifice that, uh, that Jesus, uh, Jesus made so many years ago, but it is still so, so relevant today. And also in Romans 5, chapter 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, while we didn't have a clue, while we didn't love God, he died for us. We see God's love in the parables, the lost sheep, the prodigal son. So we can see God's heart. Um, there, he searches out the lost. And so it is beyond doubt, beyond question that God loves the lost. Because the more, the more important question is, do we love the lost? That's the question that we want to uh, think about today, ask ourselves, remind ourselves um, about that. And of course, the great book, the Bible, we heard this morning, uh, Liz mentioned to the children, the, you know, the Bible can be condensed down into the, those two great commands, to love God and love others. 
Really, if we want to reduce it down, we reduce it, it can go down to that. If we obeyed those two commands, we would be fulfilling all that God's written in here. And we see in Matthew 22, 37 to 39, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. And I just want to hone in on that second command uh, this morning, loving our neighbour. It seems like an almost impossible thing, a, a, a radical thing to love our neighbour. How do we do it? What's it mean? And, and Liz touched on that this morning with the children. Uh, one, of the, one of the most helpful ways that, that I um, heard some time ago is that, you know, if we have food, we want our neighbour to have food. If we have a place to live, we want our neighbour to have a roof over their heads. If we want an education desire an education, we want our neighbour also to have an education. As we receive the gospel, we should desire that our neighbour hears the gospel and has an opportunity to respond. And so this leads us, of course, to the Great Commission that we're all familiar with in um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Christ's command to go and make disciples of all nations, to teach them so that they will obey, to baptise them. And that's part of loving our neighbour. You know, we're entrusted with the gospel. We're not to hoard it. We're not to keep it uh, for ourselves, but we're to pass it on. And so what would hinder us from fulfilling the Great Commission today? What, what are some of those things that would hinder us that would prevent us you can shout them out fear, fear. Selfishness. yes selfishness comfortable life, comfortable life. Time. time we can get very busy with other things ignorance, ignorance. yes yeah all those things and, and possibly a lot more um, materialism, some of those have been mentioned, comfort, selfishness, neglect of God's word and prayer. We get distracted by the temple. We get distracted by our own agendas. Rejection as well. Rejection as well, correct. Ralph Winter, a, um, a mission researcher, said, Obedience to the Great Commission has more consistently been poisoned by affluence than by anything else. Too many people, too many of us are living our own story and we won't trade up to God's story. And when we look at Jesus as our example, he looked at people and had compassion upon them. And there's a great verse in Matthew 23, 37 where Jesus is standing over Jerusalem and he cries O Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings 
but you were not willing. And I'm sure when he was saying that, he would have had tears streaming down his face. Because those people of the day just, well, they didn't get it, they didn't understand, they didn't know what was coming. And here's Jesus trying to help them understand and point the way. And the Gospels are full of Jesus expressing compassion for the lost, for the outcast, for the poor, for the sick. And in Psalm 145, we read that the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. So what a wonderful picture of compassion. You know, a love for the lost is best cultivated when we have a connection, a connection to them in some way. I've been privileged to visit many countries and walking the streets of cities and towns, you're overcome with the masses of people who are lining up outside temples to worship false gods, gods of wood, of stone, of, of bronze. Particularly at festival times, people come out, they get dressed up, they get into lines, they get into queues, they'll wait hours to, to visit a temple. And it's just so sad to see. And one of the other saddest things is, is the children who are there as well. Because you know the children are being taught all of those lies and, and of course the demonic activity will one day overtake them and you feel for the people, you feel for those children. And I've seen people who have come to faith struggling out of, out of those false religions and the demonic um, residue that needs to be cleaned up, needs to be cast out, is uh, something quite horrific. But we know that God is stronger. Hallelujah. God is stronger. Um, but the devil has got a hold of so many people. And seeing them has triggered something in me. It's made me want to pray every day for God's name to be known, for his word to run swiftly throughout the nations of the world. And I remember talking with a, with a former Hindu priest who's now a Christian. His name is Kadek, and he shared his testimony with me. And he and his father were priests, of their village. They regarded the people who lived in that village as theirs. Everyone would, was very subservient to them and would come to them. Um, and one day a Christian missionary arrived in this village. And of course he and his father being, being the priests were none too pleased. And so they thought they'd use their black and white magic on this missionary to try and do away with him because in the past um, he was telling me others who weren't Christians, he and his father had, had killed up to 60 people by using this black and white magic. Anyway, of course, it didn't work on the missionary and of course we know why. The Holy Spirit is, is, is greater than, any, than anything else, than anything the devil can throw. And so they had to think of something else. And he said something that really opened my eyes and shocked me. And he said he went to the, to the temple 
And for three days and three nights, he was there praying that the people of the village, that their eyes would be blinded to the message that this missionary was preaching. And I found that astounding. That the, this Hindu priest would be so, so disciplined to do that. And I thought about myself. Am I disciplined? Would I do that for blind eyes to be opened? We're told in 2 Corinthians 4 that God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light. And that's why we need to pray earnestly for blind eyes to be opened. And, and that, that gave me a real revelation of why we do need to earnestly pray for blind eyes to be opened because the God of this world has blinded them. And also, Kadek's father told him to read the Bible to find some, some way in, some, some weakness, some chink in the armour that, that they could find to counteract this missionary's message. And Kadek, being the very diligent man he was, he diligently read and studied that Bible. And guess what? <laughs> he became a Christian. He became a Christian. And, um, yeah, I've, again, I've heard testimonies of, of Hindu priests who have come to faith and the, the torment, many of them are almost driven to suicide because of the torment that is in, that, that's within them. But when they come to faith, of course, they, they come through and it's like night and day. Absolutely night and day. And, uh, and so again, God's impressed upon me to pray every day for eyes to be opened. And that's a prayer we can all pray for blind eyes to be opened. Because there are people, there are forces out there praying that they'll be closed and they'll be shut. And we have the power to make a difference there. And prayer is the fundamental key. Look, we can, in our daily news cycle, there's plenty of fodder for prayer there as we hear what's happening in the world, as we hear what's happening with people. Um, there's plenty of uh, prayer points there. Also, Christian organisations give out regular information. And of course, many in this world go through life without hearing the name of Jesus. And so surely we want to be ones who will be a part of being able to bring the message to those who have never heard. You know, having compassion for the lost is not something that we just work up ourselves. It's a supernatural love, the agape love of God. And as we allow God's reign in our life, as we press into him, ask him to transform our lives, then he'll give us that compassion. We sang this morning... Break my heart for what breaks yours. And that should be a prayer for each one of us. And when we receive new life, we are given that divine enablement. And if you feel that you don't have that, if you feel that you just don't have what you know you should have, then cry it to God. I mean, I did many, many years ago. I, I felt dry, nothing there, 
I cried out to God. It took nearly six months before I sensed God was answering that prayer. But if you don't have that this morning, if you don't have that urgency within your spirit, then cry out to God because that is a prayer God will answer. Amen? He will answer that. Our compassion will develop as we go in our service for the King. As we go. We read in the New Testament about the ten lepers who came to Jesus for healing. And Jesus says, go, show yourself to the priest. As they went, they were healed. The disciples went out and preached. As they went, as they preached, the Lord worked signs, wonders and miracles. As we go, God does the work. We're prone to say yes with our lips, but no with our feet. Isn't that right? Too often. Darrow Miller, another author and missiologist, says that the earth will be filled with what's in our hearts and minds. If our minds are empty, our world will be barren. If our hearts are hard, our world will lack compassion. You know, we're meant to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And we underestimate ourselves. We, we are people of influence. We can be people of influence. And we need to be people of influence. The psalmist says in Psalm 126, They that sow in tears will reap in joy. Spurgeon, that great um, preacher from the past, says, or he called tears liquid prayers. Liquid prayers. Jeremiah compared his weeping to a fountain, his head as rivers of tears. It's, it's almost foreign to us, isn't it? To, to read about this and think, how can somebody be so consumed with the things of the Lord that they would weep rivers of tears? He was called the weeping prophet. The Apostle Paul says he described himself as serving the Lord with all humility and many tears. Herbert Lockyer says, Tears win victories. A cold, unfeeling, dry-eyed religion has no influence over the souls of mankind. What does our religion, what does our faith look like to others? What are our lives speaking David says in Psalm 69.9, My zeal for God and his work burns hot within me, like a devouring fire within. Jeremiah talks of having fire in his bones in Jeremiah 20 verse 9. His word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to keep it in. You know, God's not into moderate. He's not into middle of the road. Is he? He is in. He is into fire. He is looking for the fire in our lives. Romans twelve eleven says, "Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord." And we get the word fervent from fervens in the Latin, which means boil. 
So if you're a, if you're a fervent person, your, spiritual, your spirit is alive, it's being quickened, it's on the boil. It's what fervent means. And the word zeal is defined as great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. Do we have great energy? Do we have great enthusiasm in pursuit of God's cause? We need to cry out for it if we don't have it. You might ask, how do we get this zeal? Well, I believe the start is in the regular things we do each day. Reading the word of God, studying, meditating. Heartfelt, earnest, faith-filled prayer. A desire, of God, a desire for God to transform you. Knowing God. Now the Bible says, this is eternal life, that you know me. And so knowing God, as we know God, is how that zeal will grow. You know, we often say we live in the last days, but we act as if there's an endless tomorrow of opportunities. We often act as if, well, there's plenty of time. Let's not rush. Let's just take it easy. And God wants us to view the scene. Open our eyes. Look to the fields because the harvest is plentiful. I want to share a story from Hudson Taylor's life in China. I'm sure you've all heard of him. A man called Ni, Ni Yung was converted through uh, his ministry. And Ni had previously been uh, a member of a Buddhist sect. And he said he had long searched for the truth, as did his father, but he had never quite found it. But Ni found it after hearing Hudson Taylor and was converted. And Ni took Hudson Taylor to a meeting of the Buddhist sect that he formerly led. And the sect allowed him to explain his faith to them. And Hudson Taylor was very impressed with the clarity and energy that Ni gave his testimony to these Buddhists. And lo and behold, one of them got converted through his testimony. Then Ni asked Hudson Taylor, the great pioneer missionary, how long has the gospel been known in England? And Taylor said, oh, for several hundred years. What? said Ni. And you've only come to preach to us now? My father sought for the truth for more than 20 years and died without finding it. Why didn't you come sooner? Yeah, well, this emphasises the fact that gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Will we be the ones to get the message there in time for the perishing world? You know, it's good to come to church, hear a message that will challenge and excite us, and that's good. But it's only half the story. The job's only half done. The other half is going and doing. The other half is being obedient. You know, we can say yes with our lips. What are we going to do with our feet? Are our feet going to move? The Bible warns that we should not be here as only and I don't know whether 
any of you have read the word for today, but I read it this morning and I thought, right, that's exactly uh, the verse that's coming out uh, that I want to share. Because we've got to be more than just hearers. And James 1.22 says, Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. And he finishes off by saying, To walk in God's blessing... You need to take care of the doing and he will take care of the blessing. You know, sometimes we we say today, where are the signs and the wonders? Where is God at work? We don't see it. Well, maybe if we did more doing, we might see it. That's the pattern of the New Testament. As they went, as they did, as they were obedient, God's blessing follows. John Calvin famously said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And when I read that, I thought, gee, that's pretty harsh to say that. Another way of putting it is our human condition is driven by idolatry. When we don't have God's agenda uppermost in our heart and mind, we find other things to replace it. Isn't that too true? We're always finding things to fill our life up with. If we've got a vacuum, if we've got, or whatever. The human heart is an idle factory. So around your tables this morning, I want you to ask yourselves, what are those idols that are prone to take over in our lives? And how can we eradicate them? How can we get rid of them? What are those things that prevent us from doing the work of the Lord, having a love for the lost, taking, taking the Great Commission? What are those things that take over and how can we pull them down? And after you've discussed that, just also take some time to pray for each other, to have God's love to have God's compassion for the lost. Because as disciples of Jesus, we need that. We need that compassion and we need that love. So just take a few minutes now to discuss that around your tables. Be answerable for the life that we live, that we have here on earth. It's my privilege this morning to do communion and to do that in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus talks about. When we think of the blood shed, he said, do this in remembrance of me. When we think of the broken body, he says, do that in remembrance of me. Just what should we remember? What are we thankful for what are we grateful for do we live a life of thankfulness and gratefulness because if we do it'll totally change our lifestyle remember the tears of gethsemane and the sweat as drops of blood wasn't easy he came to the point where he said if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done.
as Neville was challenging us this morning about having a heart for the lost. Not my will, not my fear, not my comfort, but your will be done. Remember the arrest of the temple soldiers of Jesus in the garden. Can you imagine that? In front of his disciples. and Remember the mock trial, the false witnesses, false accusations. It was just all just a, a barrage of untrue stuff. Remember the injustice of his trial. These are the kind of things we need to think about when we partake of the juice and we partake of the bread. Remember the stripes on his back and the crown of thorns on his head. Can we even imagine that? I can't. The pain. Remember he being forsaken by God when made sin for us. That's when God turned his face. Father God turned his face away. And that's why Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God's eyes are more pure than to look at sin. And he turned his face away for the first time ever, only time ever. Remember his thirst, desperately wanting something to drink in his agony and pain. Remember his cruel and agonizing death on the cross. It was the worst death that the Romans had invented. Remember his commitment to his father. It's not about me, it's about doing your will. In Hebrews it says, A body you have given me to do your will, O God. Wow. Are we willing to say that? Remember the rending of the veil of the temple. All the old sacrifices were done away with because the perfect sacrifice of God had been paid. Remember his last words to the dying and repentant thief. Whew. By the skin of his teeth, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what was the gracious words in agony on that cross? Today you shall be with me in paradise. Remember his burial tomb, the tomb of Joseph and his mighty resurrection. Can you imagine the guards? It's worth remembering God did all these things for you and me. Remember his appearances to his disciples. Some didn't recognize him and others said, oh, it's the Lord. Remember his ascension to the Father's right hand where he now reigns. The last one, remember, he intercedes for his own and will return for his bride in due time. 
as we think of the juice, the blood, as we think of his broken body, the bread, all these things should be going through our mind. Lord, you did all this for me. Never was speaking about what's our heart for the lost. Freely you have been given. Sorry, freely you have received. Freely give. I have stood with my nose against the pub window when I first got saved. Looking at all my friends inside. Crying, why did you save me and not them? Has some of that love gone? I'm ashamed to say in my life, yes. Why isn't it still there? Why isn't it burning hot? Seeing he did all these things that we are remembering now. We are remembering what he's done for us. He pulled us out of darkness into his marvellous light. Let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you. And Lord, words seem to be so meaningless. Words, words. But Lord Jesus, may our lives reflect our thankfulness. May our lives reflect that we really do remember what you did for us on the cross at Calvary. How you took our sin on your body on that tree. And that we became the righteousness of God in Christ because of what you did, Lord Jesus. Help us to remember not just now, but Lord, this afternoon, tomorrow, the next day, the next week, all the things that you have done for us. And out of that gratefulness and thankfulness, I pray that we might be able to pray, God, show me what you want me to do in the life that you have given me as I remember all that you did for me. Lord, let it, not be meaningless, but very meaningful. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's eat and drink together. Father, we thank you for being with us this morning. Father, we pray that you would seal the word that Neville preached this morning to our hearts. Water it by your Holy Spirit that is going to come forth in fruitfulness, we pray.
in salvations, in Lord caring for our neighbours, in testimonies that are going to come from this service in the weeks, the months and the years to come, Father. Lord, you promise in your word that your word will not come back to you void, but you will accomplish all that you purpose to do with it and you will cause it to prosper. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray for safety as everybody goes their own ways, to their own families, in their own houses. Father, for the week that's set before them, Lord, that it may be filled with moments of opportunity to glorify you and to speak about you. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.